Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. John was a prophet living in the wilderness, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and honey. John was out in the wilderness preaching, baptizing, calling people to repentance, to turn to God so that they would be ready, so that they would be prepared, ready for one who would come, prepared for one who was so mighty, so powerful, so majestic, so glorious, so awe-inspiring, inspiring, that John said he was not worthy to loosen the straps of his sandals. In other words, he was not worthy to be his servant. Then Mark tells us that Jesus came. Jesus came into the wilderness. Jesus came out to John. Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Galilee was the northern province of Israel. The southern province was Judea. Now, Jerusalem was in Judea. The temple was in Judea. And these two, these two areas were very distinct. It's, it's easy to think that faithful Jews living in the first century in the Holy Land were a homogenous group, that they were all united in faith and practice and, and language. Well, this was not the case. The two regions where Jews primarily lived, Galilee in the north and Judea in the south, were separated not only by geography, but also by culture and language and economics and politics. Galilee was under a king appointed by the Roman emperor. In Jesus' day, it was Herod. Judea, on the other hand, was ruled directly by a Roman governor or a Roman prefect. Galilee had better farmland than the more mountainous Judea, and it also had a thriving fishing industry. The Judeans, centered in Jerusalem, looked down upon Galilee. They, the Galileans were the unsophisticated backcountry. They are the uncultured rednecks. They didn't observe the law as faithfully. And they talked funny. Galileans had their own accent. A Galilean in Jerusalem would stand out in manner and speech as much as a good old Mississippi boy would stand out in Seattle. And this is where Jesus was from. He came out of Galilee, specifically out of the town of Nazareth. It's, it's such an insignificant town that it's not mentioned in the Old Testament at all. And being from Nazareth is kind of like being from Delo or Chunky, Mississippi. This is where Jesus was from. He was from the sticks. He was from the back country. And he came out into the wilderness. And he was baptized by John. Immediately, three things happened. When Jesus came up out of the water, three things happened. Three things that reveal who Jesus is. Three things that disclose his identity. First, Mark tells us that Jesus saw the heavens open. Listen to verse 10 again. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open. Literally, this reads, he saw the heavens torn apart. The meaning is more violent than open. It could be translated split or ripped or rent asunder. 
The word is used in the Old Testament whenever God demonstrates his power, like the parting of the Red Sea, or when Moses strikes the rock and water comes out. It's also used when God is about to reveal himself, when God is about to reveal his will. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1 reads, The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. At Jesus' baptism, God is tearing open the heavens because he's going to speak, because he's going to act, because he's going to reveal himself, and he's going to do so through Jesus of Nazareth. All heaven breaks loose at Jesus' baptism. The second thing that happens is that the Spirit of God descends like a dove. The heavens are torn open and the Spirit of God comes upon Jesus God's people were waiting on one who would be anointed, filled with the Spirit of God. They were waiting on a Messiah, a Christ, come to save them. And here at Jesus' baptism, by sending the Spirit, God is saying, here he is. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one you're waiting on. This is the one I promised to send. Now, the only other place that God's Spirit is likened to a dove is in the Targums. Targums is the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. This was the version that most Jews in Jesus' day read from. Now, our Old Testament reading this morning was from Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, the creation story. Listen to verse 2 again. The earth was without form, and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for hover God's spirit was hovering over the primeval waters before creation. The Hebrew word for hover is literally flutter. Flutter. The text reads that God's spirit fluttered over the waters. Now, the rabbis who translated this into Aramaic did so like this. And the earth was without form and empty and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove. The Spirit of God fluttered above Jesus like a dove. That God created. And Jesus' baptism shows that God is about to recreate. God is about to start a new creation. God is about to make new. God is about to transform. Make new and transform his broken, sin-filled people. Make new and transform his broken, sin-filled creation through Jesus, through the Messiah, through the Spirit-filled Christ. And he can make you new. He can recreate you, transform you through Jesus. Turn to him. Turn to him in faith. Turn to him in repentance. Now, the third thing that happens at Jesus' baptism is that the Father speaks. The Lord and the creator of the universe speaks. The heavens are torn, the Spirit descends, and the Father utters these words, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee is not only the Christ, he's not only the Spirit-anointed Messiah, he is the Son of God. He's God's Son, sent by God. And the Father is pleased with him. The Father delights in him. The Father loves him. As as the Son, he's also king. 
king of God's people, Lord of God's people, sent to lead and rule over God's people, to lead and rule over them justly and righteously and in love. Our call to worship today was Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is what is known as a royal psalm, a psalm that is about about the king. And the setting of Psalm 2 is the coronation of the king of Israel. The new king is receiving his crown. He is now Lord and ruler over God's people. He is servant of the Lord. And God declares this about the king in verse 7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The king was adopted as God's son. The king ruled as God's son. Jesus is the son of God who is king. But he is the eternal son of God who is king. He came from Nazareth of Galilee and he was baptized by John. Now Mark does not necessarily intend for this to be a primer on how to practice baptism. What Mark wants you to see is that baptism reveals who Jesus is. Through it, God discloses his identity, that he's the Christ. He's the spirit-filled Messiah. He's king. He's Lord. He's the beloved son of God, and the Father is pleased with him. And don't don't miss this. In Jesus' baptism, we get a picture of the Trinity. The mystery that God is one, yet God is three. The mystery that God is three without ever losing his oneness. The truth that God is one and God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In our passage, the Son is baptized and the Spirit descends and the Father speaks. Three in one and one in three. But this is the God whom we worship and adore. This is the God whom we serve. And just as creation was an act of the triune God, recreation is an act of the triune God carried out in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Okay, we talked about what baptism shows, what it reveals. And the next question is why? Why was Jesus baptized? Why did Jesus need to be baptized by John? Remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Did Jesus need to repent? Did Jesus need forgiveness of sins? Well, the answer is no. No, he is the eternal son, which means he is the sinless son of God. He is the God-man without sin. He did not need the baptism of John, but he chose it. Jesus chose the baptism of John in order to identify with us, in order to identify with you, to join his life with yours completely. Now, we need baptism. You need baptism. You need what it points to. It points to repentance and turning to God and forgiveness of sins and dying to self and newness of life. Now, why? Why? Why do we need baptism? Because of the difficult truth that the scripture teaches that we're sinful, drowning in sin, estranged from God, alienated from God because we disobey 
his law because we haven't loved him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength because we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And he willingly entered alongside of us, alongside of you, and was baptized. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. He chose to. Why? So he could save you, so he could recreate you, so he could make you new, so he could reconcile you with the Father. Jesus united himself with broken, sinful people like you and me from his birth to his baptism all the way to the cross unto death. And there on the cross, united with you, he suffered the judgment of God in your place. He took upon himself what you deserve. Separation from God. Death. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He didn't have to, but he desired it. He wanted it. So he could save you. So he could transform you. So he could recreate you. When Jesus was baptized by John, he identified with you, united himself with you. In other words, Jesus comes to you where you need him most. In your brokenness, in your lostness, in your sinfulness, in your death. In Jesus, God has come out of the wilderness seeking you out. Because he loves you. Now, following his baptism, Mark tells us that immediately, and this is a word we're going to see over and over again in Mark's gospel, immediately after his baptism, the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. The Spirit guided Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted by Satan. For 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted by the adversary. Satan, the supernatural enemy of God. Satan, whose entire work, entire purpose is to subvert God's reign. Satan tempts Jesus. Now, what, what Mark wants you to see here at the beginning, what Mark wants you to see immediately is that the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of Christ, the ministry of the Son of God is an invasion. It's an incursion, an attack, an assault. It's an invasion, an attack, an assault on the powers of sin, on the powers of darkness, the powers of evil, on Satan. In Jesus, God has invaded to reclaim his creation. In Jesus, God has invaded to reclaim his people. And it starts immediately. In order for God to recreate, in order for God to make new, in order for God to transform, the enemy must be engaged. A battle must be waged. Light must shine in the darkness. Jesus has come. The Christ has come. The Son of God has come. And he has united himself with you and overcome for you, conquered for you. This is good news. It's gospel. So now what? Now what? What do you do? Follow. Follow him. 
Repent, turn to him. Turn to him and place your faith in him and follow him. Follow the one from Nazareth and Galilee. Follow the one who came down from heaven. Follow the one who was baptized by John. And following begins with baptism. Your own baptism. And whether you were baptized as a baby or a teen or a young adult or an older adult, baptism is the entrance into the Christian life. Baptism is entrance into a life of discipleship, a life of following Jesus, a life of repentance, a life of renewal, recreation, transformation. Because when you follow Jesus, when you turn to him, when you place your faith in him, the Holy Spirit's within you, recreating you, transforming you, making you new, making you more and more like Jesus. Follow him. Follow him knowing he's gone out into the wilderness before you. Follow him knowing that he has gone into the darkness. He has faced the accuser. He has been tempted just like you. And, he over, and he's overcome. And when you go, when you travel in the wilderness and you are bombarded and assaulted by the trials of life and the temptations of life and the burdens of life and the sorrows of life and the anxieties of life, remember... Jesus has gone before you. You're not alone. God's spirit goes with you, within you. In your weakness, rely on his strength. Follow Jesus. Follow the Christ. Follow the Son of God. He has shown you the way. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 